All right, hey everybody, welcome to the Deep End Podcast with Ed. The Deep End. The Deep End. The Deep End. With Ed Robinson. The Deep End. I'm Ed Robinson, and today my guest is noted award-winning author, attorney, and speaker, Pamela Samuels-Young. Pamela is a proud graduate of UC Berkeley School of Law, where she obtained her JD degree. She also earned her master's in broadcasting from Northwestern University, and also did her bachelor's in journalism from the University of Southern California. That's not the USC that other people know. There's another USC called the University of Southern Compton. This is the real USC. And so our theme for this episode is dare to be different. So you might be out there and you might be doing the same old, same old, and you're getting the same results and you're looking for something different. Every now and then you have to do something different. You have to change the paradigm. You have to mix things up. And my guest today is someone who dared to be different, and you're going to hear her story very shortly. But before we jump into the deep end with Ed, let me give you our, our lifeguard tower moment for this episode. You know, that is something that we try to get you to do for others. So what I want you to do this week is that I want you to look for a sanitation worker or a custodian, somebody who picks up your trash or custodian, and I want you to give them some type of word of encouragement. Do something nice for them. Do something kind for them uh, because they make a difference in our society also. So Pamela, welcome to the Deep End with Ed podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. How have you been doing? Good, good. Just living life and cooling out and glad to be safe. Glad my family's safe. Excellent. Excellent. You know, before we jump into all of your notable accomplishments, please tell us where, where did your story begin? That's hard. It, be, uh, it, began, it begins in Compton where I grew up and that's a big part of who I am. That's, you know, my parents, uh, who've been married for, let's see, I'm 63, so that five, so they've been married for 68 years. They still live in Compton. I will be, as soon as we finish this call, I'm gonna go over there Sunday, Sunday afternoons. I always hang out with them because they're a riot okay. and uh, they look forward to it. My, my dad loves uh, documentaries. So last week it was Muhammad Ali. And this oh. week I found one on uh, James Brown. So okay. what do you mean your parents are a riot? They're funny. They're hilarious. Because, you know, they'll be, they'll be 90 in January, and I'm um, planning to have a celebration for them. And a lot of times they forget stuff or do something. And so my daddy will say, well, you know, your mama, she losing it. And my mother will say, you know, your daddy, she, she losing it. And sometimes, and, and, so, and so to keep them both in track, if, I, if my, my mama's doing something, something he didn't like, I just say, remember, daddy, she losing it, right? Remember. And so the last time I did that, she walked up behind me and hit me in the head. <laughs> she said, I saw you do that. I'm not losing it. So, <laughs> that's what I mean with their riot. <laughs> well, you've done many things, but how would you describe your childhood uh, growing up? You know what? I didn't know it, but it was pretty idyllic. You know, you think yeah, I grew up in Compton and you think you, you go out to this really big world and you think, wow, oh, I'm from Compton and I didn't have this and I didn't have that. And you meet all kind of people who they might have had a lot more money but they grew up in a dysfunctional family. Or I remember being in um, at SC with and talking to a white classmate, or and my parents. I I, I left um, USC with with um, with no loans, and my parents. You know, I had scholarships and grants, and plus what my parents did. 
And I remember this person, their parents were really well off and they and they were on their own for college. So we, we grew up with all these kind of perceptions about what is and what is not. I had a car in high school. I don't remember not wanting for anything. I remember my, my parents now say, oh, I remember back in 1970, whatever, we didn't have two dimes to rub together. It was tough. And I was thinking, I never realized it was tough because they. I always had what I needed. Now, what I remember, family, when we were in high school, you had a, was it a Carmen Ghia? Yeah. A little Carmen Ghia. Wow, most people don't even know what it is. It's made by Volkswagen. <laughs> <laughs> a little mini car. <laughs> yes. I think that was my first year of college. Or was okay. it? It might have been high school. You know what? It might have been high school. Okay. <laughs> well, speaking of, of your of high school years, so you graduated from Compton High School. How would you describe yourself as a student at Compton High? Oh, I was very bookwormish. You know, if you open a yearbook, I'm the one the, the most likely to succeed. Okay. And the, the, the those kind of things. I, I knew education. Uh, was the key. I knew that early. I was an avid reader. Uh, I remember, you know, being in elementary school in those, the book of the month club, double day. I would, uh, my mother, I could pick a book out every month to read, right? And I really thank my mother for that because it exposed me to other things in the world, right? It exposed me to a world beyond Compton. I knew there was more and I knew education was the key to that early. So that's a, that's a great segue. So how does the notion of dare to be different played out in Pamela's life? I think that while I was often, sometimes afraid and intimidated by something, I still pushed past it. Um, And I've always been a leader and not a follower. I've always wanted to chart my own course. And when everybody was going this way, I I didn't necessarily follow. And I have a lot of people I know uh, who were more followers than leaders and I, I, I think that made a difference for me. I, I, I had a mind of my own. And there were some people who would tell you I have too much of mine of my own, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to assume anything, Pamela, but who were the who were the heavy influences in your life? I mean, well, obviously my parents, and you don't really realize that while you're growing up because they're just your parents, but you know, they were two of the hardest working people I know. My mother was a mail carrier. My mother, my father worked for a tool making company. But, you know, my first book was dedicated to them. And I think I wrote to my mother who taught me the power of prayer and my father who taught me that hard work always pays off. So you think think of those two combinations, that that's a combination that can't be beat. Wow, I agree. Prayer and a strong work ethic. Now, you went from journalism, broadcast journalism to law. But before I even ask that question, you told me a story about when you graduated from Compton High School, you went to USC and there was a course I forgot it was some written or some course you want to challenge. I forgot it was called audit or whatever. And tell us that story. That, oh, that was oh I know what you're talking about. Because there's a story that I go back to when the issue of uh, fear and, and lack of confidence comes to me. Um, I didn't take the basic um, English courses in my first year of SC. I was on this special program, but then I got out of that program. And then okay. I, I, I had to have English 101 and 102. And, you know, those basic English courses, because that first year I took a higher level English course. Mm-hmm. And then I learned that there was a test you could take, that if you pass the test, that you would get the credit for that um, for those two courses without having to take the course. I'm like, cool, I'm an I'm, English test me. So I went to go register um, to do that. And when I, and I had to get a sign off from a counselor. And when I went into this woman's office and never met me before, I've never seen her before and told her what I wanted to do and gave her the form. 
she, I, ne I initially got a negative reaction. I don't remember her words, okay. but it was basically what I heard was you can't do this, you shouldn't do this. And you have to understand that here I am, this little 18 year old from Compton, I'm at USC, this is my dream. I'm, SC was my dream school. And she was telling me I couldn't pass this test. Okay. And I was stunned because nobody had ever said there was something I couldn't do in an academic setting. Now I can't swim, I can't dance. There are a whole lot of things I can't do. But okay. an English test, my parents encouraged me, my church members encouraged me, my teachers encouraged me, my friends encouraged me. So this was a defining moment for me. So okay. she signed the form grudgingly. Okay. And what I had to do was then go over to the uh, financial aid finance office and pay for it. And there were okay. two options. You okay. pay, I remember the amount. You paid 250, you would get credit for it just on your on your transcript. And you paid 500 and you would also get the units for it, right? And if you okay. failed the course, you lost your money. Okay. Uh -huh. So I'm in line trying to decide what I'm going to do because Remember, when I walked into her office, it was a matter of English test. Take the test. Right. But uh -huh. When I met her with that, with that negativity, with that you can't that she put in my head, I was now afraid that I was going to lose either 250 or, God forbid, right. 500. Right. And in 19, what? This would have been 76, uh, okay. 77 or so, 1977, uh -huh. uh, my first year. And I, I was, and so I'm in line. I'm trying to decide what I'm going to do. I'm always at the window and it's my turn to go at the window. And I don't think I even let somebody else get in front of me because I'm still trying to decide mm -hmm. what I'm going to do about this test because I can't afford to lose that much money. Right. By the time I got to the window, I decided I'm going to take the test, but I'm going to take the cheaper option. So if I pass it, I, I don't get the unit credit, but at least I can continue to take the higher level courses. But if I fail it, at least I've only lost 250, not 500. Okay. This was, this was pre-internet, so it wasn't like I could just go get the get my test results. I, I took the test. I don't know how much later, but I mean, then you get your results. I think it was more than a, more than a couple of weeks. Uh -huh. And I got the results in the mail, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm nervously opening the envelope. Uh -huh. And when I open the envelope, I, of course, now I say pass the test. <laughs> but okay. I was so angry with myself for letting this woman who didn't know me tell me I can do something and convince me in a short period of time or put the fear of God in me that I could not do this. And I remembered that lesson going forward every time I got scared. When I was trying to get a book deal and I got rejected. When I was had my first court appearance and I was nervous. When I had my first deposition and the opposing counsel was raking me over the coals and I was scared to death. I remember that experience and it's something that I latch on to even today to push past my fears and insecurities. Thank you for, for being vulnerable and sharing it with us, Pamela. So when you look at that seminal moment, what was the key takeaway for you? Not to let anybody tell you that you can do something that you can't do, to believe in yourself. It was an English test. If it had been a calculus test, you might have been right. But okay. an English test, I'm an avid reader. I love English. That's my subject. I'm a writer. I didn't know I was going to be a writer. Um, okay. It's believe in yourself when other people don't. That's, okay. the, that's the most important time for you to believe in yourself. Okay. Now, Pamela, I know your backstory. I know you way back. So you went, as I was saying earlier, you went from broadcast journalism, and then you went into law. What made you do that, if I may ask? 
And you know, that's another foundation of insecurity. Because when I finished, I finished undergrad at USC, I wanted, I thought about law school for like a split second. But I also, I was a journalism major. I love that. I wanted to be the next, you know, Woodward and Bernstein or whatever that was going to be. I, uh-huh. But law was such a big thing. I didn't know any lawyers. There were no lawyers in our family. That, that had to be hard. So I dismissed that and said, let's go this, this course. Let's go. Okay. And it was while I was working in television news, um, it was just one of those days when it was um, just a bad day in the newsroom. And the, uh, and the whole year before that, I had okay. been thinking about law school because I was just suffering from burnout in the TV newsroom. You come in every day. I, I worked in the evening shift. Come in at three, right for the five, six, 11 o'clock newscast under the gun every day. Then you take a lunch break for dinner around seven and you write for 11 o'clock newscast. And it's like, it's like, boom, boom, boom. Well, good thing for a writer because it trained me to be able to write fast and think on my feet. Um, But it was, you know, it was a great job for somebody in their late twenties, but it was, I was getting bored with it and tired of it. And I had a bad day in the newsroom. The tape, my tape didn't come up. My story was this, the producer yelled at me. It was like all just a bad day. And that day I picked up the phone and I called USC because I didn't. I didn't know there was no internet. What do I need to? What do I need to do to uh, to um, to go to law school? What what's? I need to take the the let LSAT. I okay. called I, that night. I went to Barnes and Noble, got me a study guide. I bought it. It was a paper. And again, nothing online. Um, and you know how God works. It was three weeks uh-huh. before the December or the last LSAT of the year which I would have needed to take to, to get into law school for the following uh-huh. year. That was 1986. Uh, so I studied like a mad woman for the next three weeks every night, read the practice exams, the practice quizzes, quizzes took the, uh, the LSAT and uh, got my scores and uh, did okay. And ended up getting into um, uh, Berkeley, University of Michigan, um, and many other schools. Um, you know, the, the sad part is I think about this now. I did not at the last, because you know, you, you're paying, then it was like, I guess, $50 a school every time you apply. I did right. not apply to Harvard. Again, it was one of those, mm, I probably won't get in. You know, okay. it just, you know, one of those moments. But, you know, but you end up where you're supposed to end up. Berkeley, yeah. was, a, Berkeley was a great place for me. I made great friends who are still my friends today. Right. And um, that's that story. So did you know any lawyers to, so to speak, influence, mentor, guide, lead? lead I knew. I mean, that was part of the, the fear. You know, okay. you know, a doctor, uh, I forget, it's a, is it Kanjufu who says you have to, you have to see a doctor to be a doctor? You know, okay. um, my friends who, who's, whose um, parents are doctors or, or have them in their family, there's much less fear and intimidation. No, I didn't know any lawyers. I never met a lawyer before. I didn't, lawyers were this big thing it's like this really smart people and that wasn't me i was just you know this little bookworm but um um you know and and i still have those those insecurity moments as a writer but the one thing i I will say about myself i know how to push through them i don't let them paralyze me completely so you i always say you have to push past the fear okay yeah you you definitely have been a very uh highly motivated, uh, very focused individual, very industrious and figure things out and so forth, as long as I've known you. And I know at one point you worked at a prestigious law firm, like a prestigious law firm like Old Melvany and Myers. I know you worked at CBS, you alluded to that earlier. And then you also worked at Toyota and was one of the managing uh, you know, general counsels there. 
How do you feel? Managing council, not general council, but that's all. <laughs> Managing council, thank you. Council, yes. Thank you for that clarification. So how do you feel that you made a difference in the lives of either the folks you work with at those three prestigious firms and or the clients you served? That's a big ask. Um, hopefully I made made a difference for clients by um, handling their cases well. Okay. Uh, it's interesting. Nobody has ever asked me how I made a difference for the people I work with. It's sort of interesting that you when, how you think about things over time. I don't know what made me think about this, but I think people need to be exposed to people to, mm -hmm. to better understand them. You know, for, I was like, uh, what, are the only African-American attorneys in my department at Toyota for a while. I was the only, one of the only African-Americans in the legal department at, at, at O'Melveny for a while. And I think you think sometimes that, that just maybe you help people understand that you're just, you're just like them because, and when we, and we don't recognize they're just like us. When you grow yeah. up in a, as an African-American in this society, uh, you don't always think that. I, I remember experience when, a, when a, uh, one of my white colleagues at O'Melveny came to me. She wanted to give me this card that she had bought for her mother. I think it was a, was it a Mother's Day card or a birthday card. But apparently she, when she bought it, she didn't recognize that there was a black woman on the, on the card, greeting card. And okay. she said, oh, I didn't realize that you can use this. Uh -huh. And for me... It was a moment of, when she left, I was like, do you realize that for most of my life, at, by that point, I couldn't get a card with a Black person on it exactly, right. to give to my mother on Mother's Day. Right. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and I didn't, I didn't, I sh that was a teaching moment that I could have had for her to discuss that issue. Right. Um, uh -huh. Because I don't think that they, it's like, oh, well, obviously she couldn't give her mother a card with a Black woman on it. But I spent yeah. most of my life giving my mother Mother's Day cards with white women on it. And, mm -hmm. you know, as, as we, as we, um, this time we're in now with this whole uh, Black Lives Matter and this racial, racial people, people are recognizing what Black people have gone through. It's a moment because even, even, even growing up, we don't realize, how, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I realize how heavy the burden is and how amazing we are to have survived under the circumstances that we have exactly. survived. Yes. Um, we don't give ourselves enough credit for that. And um, it's like when I, when I see discussions about, well, whether racism is systemic and it's like people are like, oh no, it's like, I, my, I want my head to explode. Exactly. And slowly black, I think white Americans, many, many white Americans are beginning to understand. You know, I wrote, when I wrote the, my, my latest book, Failure to Protect, has a um, scene in it where the main character uh, is uh, accosted by police, and I did a, a, a Zoom book club with a white with a white book club, and one of the women was like, "Oh my God, did you write this after George Floyd?" She was acting as if I was clairvoyant because yes, I wrote yes. a scene about the police harassing right. the, right. a black man for nothing, and mm -hmm. and afterwards I reflected on that discussion right. because I was like, it was almost it was almost hurtful for me because it was like, here's a smart, caring white woman. They uh -huh. don't get our experience. They just don't get it. They don't, I wasn't clairvoyant voyant for writing that. That's what uh -huh. black men go through every day of their lives. Well stated. Now you've been called the John Grisham of writing with a sister's twist. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I think about that, uh, what led you to write legal 
fiction genre? I have to say that John Grisham basically played a role in it. Um, I, when I was working at Melbourne, my release was reading and I love reading legal thrillers and I loved John Grisham. Uh-huh. And I would close book after book and I would never see anybody in that book who looked like me. Mm. If there was a black character, it was probably somebody, you know, like in A Time to Kill, a man being accused of, of, of a crime, right? It was never, certainly never a black attorney at, at that point. Right. And um, at one point, I just said to myself, you know, I'm going to write a legal thriller. It's going to have somebody who looks like me. So my, Renetta Henderson grew up in Compton, and she's a attorney at a large corporate law firm. Right. So really, that's, and, and, and I remember that I was still a young associate. I remember that morning getting up at four o'clock a.m. to write it, to write my first book. It was based on a case that I'd had, sexual harassment case that I was handling. And when I sat down and started putting that pen to paper, within seconds, I knew I had discovered my passion because nothing else could explain my my uh, willingness to get up at four o'clock in the morning, to write before work, after work weekends and train and uh and airports and hotels i volunteered for an out-of-town assignment in dc just so i could be away from everybody and have time to write so um so i guess in part john grisham is is i owe him a little credit for my writing career okay and thinking and, and speaking of, of of your works i know you have several books several award-winning books i want to add there's two of them that i want to call out for a moment one i have i have with me here is uh Anybody's Daughter, which focuses on human sex trafficking, and then the other one is Abuse of Discretion, uh, which dealt with sexting. Can you give us kind of like a brief synopsis of those two? What, where were you okay. going with it? Anybody's Daughter is about a young girl who um, uh, thinks she's meeting another boy on Facebook and ends up get, being pulled into child sex trafficking. And... Um, I decided to write about this book. I think the idea for it came to me around 2011, 2012, when I was talking to a friend who said that the gangs were no longer that interested in drugs and they were more interested in trafficking children. And I was like, what are you talking about? I mean, I've heard of human trafficking, but I thought it happened in other countries. And um, I went back and started doing some research and Googling human trafficking and all of this stuff came up and it and all of these stories about, about the impact on African-American young girls. And I was like, why isn't anybody talking about this? And I was stunned that all that information was out there. And so I wanted to write about, I wanted to educate people about human trafficking, child sex trafficking. And if I had written a nonfiction book, it wouldn't have reached anybody, right? Because you know people don't wanna be, be, but if I wrapped it into a good mystery, uh, yes. I knew I would educate more people, and that's what I did. Okay. That's anybody's daughter, and as I'm see it's on your shelf. That's great. And my other book, uh, the, one of the books, uh, I have like uh, I think I got 14 books now, but wow. uh, the the other one, um, abuse of discretion. Again, yes. it's always something that I learned that that moves me. A friend of my, my uh, one of my friends who's a judge now, but at the time he was a criminal attorney, and he was saying that oh he. He was looking forward to having this conversation with some parents because their child was uh, being charged with possession of, of, of uh, child pornography based wow. on sexting uh, a picture to a young girl or even getting a picture of something. Mm-hmm. And, and it stunned me that um, we were treating children like adult 
pornographers, right? Because we give them these phones and they do, and they send the pictures and they're you know, in their preteen years and, and, right. and we're, we're, we're actually jailing our kids for this, really? So again, another topic that I wanted to educate about and write about. And, uh, and it, it, what, what's so pleasing to me is that during the court, from, from the time I started to where we are now, I've seen the laws change. When I started researching anybody's daughter, these, these young girls were treated as criminals. They were treated just like adult prostitutes. Now they're treated like sexually exploited children that the, the sexually exploited children that they are. So yeah. I've seen it go from a, to a victim-centered approach. And the same thing for sexting. A lot of, lot of communities are not prosecuting these kids in that, the way they were. And a lot of states also uh, have uh, reduced sentences for a, first, for a first offense or if they treat them like children. God, God knows what I would have been doing if I had a phone at 12 years old. So, so, yeah. Well, let me just tell you, let me go back to the, the first book, Anybody's Daughter. That just opened up everything for, for your boy, Ed, because it, it educated me. And then I used my former role as a pastor, as a poor, bully pulpit, to share and to disseminate it. And you came a few times and did some workshops for us. And parents to this day are still talking about it. There are two people I want to give a shout out. One is Mother Mary Roberts. Mother Mary Roberts is the young 94-year-old woman who's read all 15 or 16 of your books. Uh, and then there's my brother-in-law, Cedric Carter, whom you've never met. He's read his daughter twice. So when I meet the individuals and they know of a situation that mm, it might have something to do with him sex trafficking, I'm introducing them to the book, especially the male folks, just to encourage them. Uh, to, to get involved with that. So I just wanted to let you know that. And then when you, the, the one on uh, abuse of discretion, the sexting, I had no idea uh, that our babies were being charged in that particular manner. And once again, we had you to come and do a workshop with that and people really appreciate it. So I just wanted to let you know that Pamela does a whole lot of work. She doesn't say it, but I'm gonna say it. And you really, you really helped a lot of people. And so I'm very grateful uh, for that. So, and, and, and you know, and I'm, I'm, and I guess I'm just always looking for that issue to educate people on because my latest, my newest mystery, um, failure to protect, is about, um, uh, it's about the bullying epidemic. I read that the Af the rate for, of, of suicide among African American kids under twelve was twice that of white kids. What? Nobody's talking about that. The suicide, the suicide rate for 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 for. For kids, for African American kids under twelve, is twice that of white kids. Wow. Why? Wow. So, um, and I guess I happen to have it right here. Okay. <laughs> okay. This is my late. This is my, my latest, and okay. and and oddly enough, it's my highest rated book on Amazon. Thank and you. And so uh, that's another topic that I, I that I want that I'd love for people to 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 take into because we this bullying needs to be addressed. Okay, and very shortly, we're going to show folks how to connect with you. So, so, so Pamela, you, you went from broadcast journalism, you went to law, uh, to the legal field, you went to um, uh, uh, Arthur, and now you, I heard that you're taking a storytelling class. Tell me about that. You <laughs> know, um, I, I, I um, my friend Don Clark, her mother runs the IMA, which is an, an, a, a I don't know. I wouldn't. It's a, they do, do small productions, um, and she, her, her mother's a very noted uh, storyteller. 
Okay. And um, and storytelling is an art, and you know, and and it's not when you. I think of storytelling. I think of sitting on the porch at night and somebody telling a story. You know, I didn't grow up with that. It's an art form, particularly in our community. So exactly. um, I've um, I started last month. Uh, she, uh, uh, Miss Clark, has a uh, is teaching a course, a storytelling course. At the end of at the end of the semester we will do a performance where we will tell our stories. And, you know, I thought, oh, it's going to be writer. It's going to be easy for me. It's like, there's a format. And there's a, it's not about describing. It's about putting the listener into your story, into where what happened to you. And it's been, um, it's been a a major learning experience. And I I can't, I'll have to tell you about my performance. Hopefully I can tape it when I have my first performance and I'll send you an audio tape. I mean, a videotape. So it sounds like it was revelatory, this, this class you're taking. It is because it's um, obviously as a, as a speaker, as a writer, I want to be able to tell good stories. And um, there's a there's a process. There's a format. There's an art form. And I'm, and I'm learning it from one of the best. Good. Now, what are some other, other projects that you're working on? I'm actually really excited because I'm working on a, um, a book with Dwayne Alexander Smith who wrote 40 Acres. Uh, It's a detective series um, about a a black and white, a a, a black female, black male detective. And they're they're charged to investigate the same case of a missing person, right? There's a lot of conflict between them. So we have an outline, but he writes a chapter, sends it to me. I feed off it, write the next chapter. So I think we're about chapter 43 or so into, I think it's 55 chapters altogether. So we're almost done. It's been fun writing that way. I'm also working on a, uh, another murder mystery. Okay. Um, and uh, that's those those two things are keeping me kind of busy. Okay. I just got I just got um, to ask. I'm really honored to be part of this book called um, where 100 authors talk about what they wish they had known um, when they first started writing, and uh, to be one of those 100 authors. I mean, because there's there there are New York Times bestselling authors among the list, and I was like, oh my god, that's that's kind of nice. So, um, matter of fact, I'm going to spend tomorrow working on my essay for that that book. Okay. Now, when 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 will your new work be out? Because I know people are already anticipating. Um, I'm going. My birthday's in March. My plan <laughs> is to, to. That's my, my. That was. That's my date. I was looking at December, but I have not been as diligent um, <laughs> as I should have been. As a matter of fact, I spent about a couple weeks ago. I spent a, a few days in Palm Springs. You know, <laughs> hunkered down. Uh, writing with a, a, a girlfriend of mine who's also a writer. She has a place there. We get we go there and get away. And I think I'm going to try to find another getaway. Even though I spent you know a lot of money decorating my office and making it all inspirational, sometimes you just need another another sure. venue to write in. Okay. Now before we land a plane, uh, Pamela, what coachable moment? What tips would you give to someone who may be watching this or listening to this in the audio format? What would you say to them about daring to be different where they are? Um, one, you have to um, to push past fear and rejection because everybody is told they're not good enough, you know. And so, have enough confidence in yourself. To, I mean, and, and you're gonna. There be times when you want to lick your wounds, and I certainly licked my wounds. I remember that when I, I when I was getting all those rejection letters and thinking I was never gonna be a published author. Um, but, but you have to lick your wounds and then, you know, keep going. I, I like to say, I know how to get back up after a fall. That is probably one of my best traits. 
But the other thing is to um, study your craft. You know, I mean, um, I know a lot of people who want to write or who want to do this, that, and the other, and they just, get, they just go do it. They think they know everything about it instead of studying people who've done it before. You know, I actually took John Grisham's The Firm. My, my light bulb moment as a writer was when I took that book and I took it apart. I outlined it. I took it chapter by chapter by chapter. And I looked at that outline and I, I was able to instantly see how he put that mystery together. And that was, I, I took a lot of courses. I did a lot of things, but I studied the art of writing and, and learning how to uh, tell a mystery. And um, I think a lot of times people don't want to put in the hard work that comes along with, you know, being a success at anything. Thank you for sharing the, those words of wisdom. Pamela, are you up for a little lightning round? If we can just kind of do a this or that or that type of thing, one or the other. Are you up for that? Okie dokie. <laughs> throw out some names and you just tell me which one, you know. So uh, Centennial and Dominguez High or Compton High? Come on now. I'm a Compton High school grad. Compton High. That was... <laughs> okay, lawyer or Arthur? Author, author, being author is a lot more much fun, fun than being a, a, a lawyer. Okay, straight hair or kinky hair? Oh, come on. You know, I love my kinky hair. Come on now. <laughs> you actually did something on kinky coils. Tell us about that real quick. Um, I, I wrote a book called Kinky Curly, uh, which is a book about my natural hair journey. Um, I'm so grateful to these young African-American women who, who have really taught us about our hair. I learned everything I know about my hair on, on YouTube. We grow up sometimes not appreciating who we are as a people. Definitely, def definitely kinky over straight. Okay, so walking or jogging? Walking. Even though I wish I could jog, but the bones at this age, they, they're, not, they're not going like they used to go. Okay, then lastly, uh, email or texting? Hmm. I'm long-winded, so I like email, but I'm bad about responding to email, so texting, if you, so if you want a response from me, text me. All right, okay. Well, speaking of response, if people want to get in contact with you, how do they reach you? Visit my website at PamelaSamuelsYoung.com. There's a, a box there. You can email me via my website. So um, again, that's my name.com, PamelaSamuelsYoung.com. Okay. So those of you that are listening or are watching this um, podcast, if you need a, a, a noted speaker, you need someone to uh, come and talk about uh, her books and all of the things that she's done, please reach out to Pamela, and as she said, at PamelaSamuelsYoung.com. So I, I urge you to please share this podcast with others on Instagram, Facebook, or whatever social media platforms, as well as YouTube. And so I just want to say to you, Pamela, thank you very much for taking the time from your very hectic, demanding schedule to roll with a brother from the CPT. I certainly appreciate you, and um, I look forward to connecting with you also in the future. Great. Thanks for having me. And one thing you didn't say is that we went to high school together. That's right. Yes. That's yes. our connection. Compton High. We sure did. And even though I look 40 years older than her, we did go to Compton High School. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm very grateful for you. And again, I just want to, as I always say to everyone, I want to thank my production staff for helping me with this, as well as those that, uh, you know, who've just been riding with us. So thank you very much. And Pamela, I'll see you around. Thank you. Bye.